So for the past few weeks, we've been talking about the church. For the, and we established that the foundational statement that the church is built on is Peter's confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that we need to make sure that's the foundation of everything that we do. Last week we saw that the Great Commission is the, is the mission of the church. That we as a church, what we are commanded to do, what we are to be about doing, is going therefore and making disciples. And we talked last week that making disciples is very different than making converts. We're to be baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I have taught you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And last week we kind of we, we looked at that whole statement and we said, this is what we're to be doing. And so as we look at the ministries of this church, as we look at the stuff that we do, we say that text is what drives us. And so we know what our foundation is, what the foundational statement that we follow. We know what our mission is. And so now we're getting into the rough and ready, practical, how do we do it? And I want to open by saying that the way we find out how to do the things that we do in the church is not some kind of church leadership guide. It's not our opinion. The way that we figure that out is by following the guide that God has given us, and that is this book. I want that to be understood completely and entirely. It is said that you can tell how good a pastor is by how his church carries on after he dies or after he leaves. That that's the real measure of a pastor. And so I want you to understand with everything in you, whether it's me or whether it's somebody else in this pulpit, but if you ever hear anybody contradict, go against, question, say, well, I know it says this, but... Anything other than this word, you need to fire me if I do that. The Bible says Paul is in 2 Timothy is writing to Timothy and he is telling him his final closing thoughts as a pastor at the church at Ephesus. And he says, all Scripture, not some Scripture, not the New Testament, not the Scripture that you like, all Scripture is breathed out by God and unprofitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. Now remember what we talked about last week that says every member in this room, every person in here who claims the name of Christ, you are the ministers. And so the way that you can be equipped for every good work, the way you can know how to do everything in your life is faithfulness and fidelity to this book. He goes on to tell Timothy as a pastor, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. This is what we need to know. This is what we need to follow. Paul told the Galatian church, if I or anybody else or an angel from heaven preaches any other gospel to you than that which you've received, let them be accursed. I echo that. 
And I say that this book is what we follow. This book is what we strive to understand. You want to know how to do your marriage right? This book teaches you how to do it. You want to know how to manage your finances? This book teaches you how to do that. It lays down principles that everything in your life should be guided by. If you don't know this book as a believer, you don't know how to live. If you don't feed on this book on a daily basis, you will not survive this Christian walk. And if we as a church aren't using this book as our guide, we are destined for failure. And sometimes that's broad. The the Bible gives us big principles because he knows that culture changes and shifts and that it's our responsibility to preach God's message the way that our culture preaches its message. So it does that in broad strokes sometimes. But just because we work to make sure that the message is coming across in a culturally appropriate way, we don't get to change the message. Even if it's a message we don't like or is going to make us unpopular or make, make us go to jail or make us get made fun of or make us tell the world that we're insensitive and we're, we're mean, whatever, we follow the book. And so if our foundation is Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, our mission is go therefore in all the world and preach and make disciples Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them all that I have taught you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Then our guide is this book. So we, as a body, better know it. We better be in it. You guys need to hold me accountable. And we need to follow it. And so as we look at how we do church, and we saw last week that pyramid that I drew, uh, that some of you couldn't read what I had written, that, that, that pyramid, that is not biblical. And one of the surest signs, if you ever have a leader, including me, that gets in this pulpit and threatens you as a church and says, don't ever raise your hand against God's anointed. You can't question anything that I say. Run that loser off. Because if he's throwing those kind of threats, A, that is, that is the, the fancy term for that is spiritual abuse. He is trying to tell you, I want my way, and if you disagree with it, then you're going against God, and that's a lie. If you're going against that book, you're going against God. But the moment that I or another preacher step out behind, from behind that book and take on my opinion as authority, I am undermining what God has said. So, as we try to break that pyramid apart and we try to do church God's way and we all, as the body of Christ, try to minister, we look toward the offices that God has established and we want to follow those. And so today, we're going to look at the office of deacon. Now that is a misunderstood office. I can tell you as a pastor, if I ever get a phone call... And they say, the deacons need to talk to you. That's not going to be a good meeting. (laughs) First of all, every guy in here knows if your girlfriend ever says, we need to talk, that's not good. We don't need to talk. If we need to talk, there's a problem. But the deacons have a reputation of being 
uh, controlling, of being the bosses of the church. We last cycle, when we did deacon nominations, there were several men that were nominated that when they sat down with the deacons, they said, I'm just not spiritual enough to be a deacon. Now, I appreciate if you don't meet the qualifications that we're going to go through today, that you're honest enough to say that I need to grow in my faith so that I can meet those qualifications. But the office of deacon isn't meant to be some sort of super spiritual role where you're wearing robes and you're, you're throwing censers. The, literally, the word diakonos in the Bible literally means table servant. The closest English word we have to what the word deacon is in Greek is busboy. It's used throughout the Bible in the New Testament as the word servant. In fact, there are times when there's question. In fact, I can, I can give you one of them off, right off the top of my head. In Romans chapter 16, Paul is talking about a lady in the church. And he, if you have a King James Bible, it refers to her as a deaconess. Actually, as I was telling the staff and going over what I was going to preach on today, she said, you're going to say the word deaconess in church? But a clear translation of that could, could very well be. It could be that she is the wife of a deacon. I feel like, and, and my wife has been a deacon's wife before, that, a, a, that if you're trying to follow God's word, the wife of a deacon is serving the church, whether she wants to or not. But I think it could be that. In fact, that's my personal opinion. It could be that she is in her specific role as a female who's called a deacon, a servant of the church. And, or it could be that Paul is just using that word interchangeably and saying, hey, this lady, she's serving the church. Because you know what? There's a lot of ladies in this room who serve their church. Just because you're not a guy doesn't mean that you don't serve the church. In fact, as we talk about women's ministry, it would be highly arrogant for me to, to go to Karen in the women's ministry and say, y'all need to do this. Because you know what? I've never been a woman. I don't know what your emotional needs are, physical needs. Clearly, I, I don't understand what's going on. There's a lot of times in my marriage where I, I go, I, is this supposed to be the conversation where I've come up with a solution or is this the conversation where I just listen? Because I don't know and I'm really confused right now. So, it would be highly arrogant for the elders who are all men and me to sit down and say, hey, this is what y'all need to do. I mean, I have eaten at Panera Bread in the last few days, so I'm getting closer to being a woman. So I feel like I have better understanding of things, but I don't know what those needs are. And so we need to serve each other. If the model the Bible paints is that we're speaking into each other's life, then you need women to speak in their lives. And on and on we can go. So that word deacon is one that is laid out as a servant of the church. In Acts chapter 6, we have the origin story of deacons. In those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So we don't have a whole lot of background here, but it seems clear to me that the deacons, I mean, that the, the apostles, that they had had a large church. They, we know that 3,000 had gotten saved at Pentecost. And so there were widows there that needed to be taken care of, and they were feeding them. They were daily distributing food. We, you know, we all need to eat every day. The, the Hellenists, the Greek people, thought that the, the Jewish women were getting better food. And so there was a dispute that arose. It's Here they are trying to help people, and people are gropping about it. I know that would never happen in a church setting, but that's what happened here. And so the, the, they're trying to figure out what to do. 
And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. To serve tables. That's where the word deacon comes from. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So here, the word deacon actually is born from an immediate physical need that was drawing the disciples away from prayer and the preaching of the word, and somebody had to do it, and so these seven men were appointed to take on that task. It's not a glamorous origin story. They're not telling the disciples what to do. It is simply an act of service. And so as we step it off into going into Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2 to, to talk about, 3, to talk about what the, the description of what a deacon's life looks at like, we are passing out right now nominations. They're pa- passing out some, some ballots where you can write in. You've got pencils on the back of your uh, pew, if you're sitting on the front row, there's not many because we're Baptists, but you guys can turn around and get a, a pen or pencil out from that, and uh, they're going to pass out these, and as I'm going through these, this is what I want you to do. I want you to prayerfully think about men who are in this church who meet these requirements who you think should be a deacon. And one of the things that's, that's hard in a group this big is that I don't know all of you. Now, I know most of your faces, there's some of you that I have, I've told this story before about how I was getting my tires replaced, and I'm sit, sitting there, and this guy comes up to me and says, um, hey, I just, I'm, I'm having some issues in, in my marriage, and so I, I, I'm listening to him. He didn't look familiar to me, and so I, I asked him some questions, and I said, so where are you, where are you going to church now? Because in my mind, I was thinking, you, you should talk to your pastor about this. And he's like, well, Pastor Tom, I go to North Lincoln. <laughs> And I'm like, I am so sorry. But in a crowd this big, it's just realistic that I'm not going to be able to know you. There may be somebody that you feel like that the Lord's laid on your heart that would be perfectly qualified to be a deacon, and I don't know who they are. The deacons of this church may not think of them. And so this is another example where the body of Christ can speak into what's going on into this church. And so as we go through this, these tests, these guides, I want you to be prayerfully thinking about men who are around you, who God can use to serve this church. The other thing I want us to do is this. It would be easy for some of you to be sitting there and go, well, I'm never going to be a deacon, and so, or I don't know anybody who's going to be a deacon, so I can just kind of tune out. Here's the deal. There's nothing about this list that is spectacular. That should. This is a great litmus test, jeweler's strap, whatever you want to call it, is a way to look at your own life and say, am I doing what I need to be doing to live my life the way that I should? Again, there's nothing about this list that should just go, bam, you can't possibly do that. And so I want you to be listening and asking yourself, am I making sure that I'm qualified to serve my Savior? So as we start and we step off into 1 Timothy chapter 3, all of that was introduction. We're feeding you here today, so I, I'm, I know I can run a little late. So uh, we're, that's their introduction. Let's open in prayer. 
Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we as a church would be fanatical about the way that we follow after you. The way that we love people and the way that we love you. I pray that we would get a reputation for being people who love each other and love the world around us with a passion for Christ. Lord, I pray that we would go to your word today. And God, I pray that as we go to this in my own life, Lord, you would convict me, you would draw me, that you would show me areas of my life that I need to improve. God, I pray that as we look at this list, we would realize that we can't be these people on our own. That we need Jesus to work in us, to change us, to mold us. And Lord, I pray that you would call men full of the Holy Spirit and of good repute to serve us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul again is writing a young pastor in Ephesus named Timothy. He's giving him the how-to to pastoring this church. He first starts out and talks about what an elder's role looks like, and next week we're going to look at that. Uh, this week we're looking at deacons. Deacons likewise, and so that likewise is there because the list of deacons and elders are almost identical. In fact, the only real difference is, is that elders are required to be able to teach, and deacons, that's not one of the requirements. So you don't have to be able to teach anything to be a deacon. Aren't you all excited? So, but other than that, the lists are very, very similar. There's a little bit of difference because apparently elders can be wine bibbers and deacons can't, so that's a different addition. But um, that's what we got. So let's walk through the list. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, and not greedy for dishonest gain. Let's just walk through that. Dignified. Now, that doesn't mean that deacons are supposed to walk around all the time and never laugh and never cut up. I know that. Again, remember, we're just looking at God's Word. Jesus commanded us, didn't ask us, He commanded us to laugh with those who laugh and to cry with those who cry. That word dignified just means someone who understands the circumstances and they act appropriately. They're not someone that's going to bring shame upon the gospel because they undermine the validity of the gospel. I watched uh, around Christmas, I don't know if you guys saw this floating around on Facebook, but there was a preacher that was trying to do a, a sermon illustration, and he had one of those little bouncy trampolines that he put on stage. And he ran and jumped on this trampoline in the middle of the sermon, thinking that he was going to be able to make this illustration. And when he hit that on the floor that was on their stage, the trampoline went, shaw, and shot across the room. And he went, bam, and landed right on his face. I would argue that those kind of stunts don't add to the gospel. That they actually detract. I'm sure you all saw the preacher that, that uh, came in to his ser service preaching on, and they had cabled him and brought him in. That is not dignified. That is not uplifting to the gospel. And you know what? You can't use that even as an, a sermon illustration because nobody hears what you said. They're going to hear everything. All they're going to be thinking is, did he really just come in on a, did he just fly into this room? Oh my gosh, how much money did we as a church spend for that? 
a deacon also can't be somebody that's flippant, that's all the time undermining the message that we do because they're just goofy. It doesn't mean that you can't laugh. It doesn't mean that you can't have a good time. It doesn't even mean if your personality is to laugh and joke and cut up that you can't do that. If that's the case, I I wouldn't be qualified. I love to laugh and cut up. However, there are times when that's appropriate and times when it's not. And so this person has a dignity about them because they hold, I love that Paul stuck these together, that they are dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted much wine. They hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They understand that we're dealing with holy things. Charles Spurgeon said that we are dying men talking to dying men. That we all, everybody in this room, is going to die. And they're either gonna, we're all either going to go to heaven or hell. And we need to take that seriously. So, dignified. The second role, not double-tongued. All right, David, I'm going to try to get this right. They're not a scaly-toed, no, well, yes, scaly-toed fence lizard. Amen, I got it. David has got some colorful ways of saying things before, and there have been times when we've, we've been talking about somebody, and he'd say, that guy ain't nothing but a scaly-toed fence lizard. And I'm like, yeah, I have no idea what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> but that, what that means is, is that he goes this way just as quick as he goes that way. That he will turn around like a lizard and he'll change his opinion. And we all know people like that, right? They'll look at you and say one thing and then they go over here and talk to somebody else and they say the exact opposite and they're not bright enough to realize that those two people are going to talk to each other. Well, he told me, you can't be that kind of person. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can't be that kind of person. Jesus commanded us that we let our yeas be yea and our nays be nay. What he's saying is be known for somebody who, if it's uncomfortable to tell the truth, you tell the truth. And that if you make a mistake, own it. I messed up. You're not somebody that tries to cover themselves, who lies their way out of it, that you're known as somebody who tells the truth. Not double-tongued. They're one who says one thing and then say something to other or say... So there, you can't be that person, insincere. I had a whole illustration that I put together that used the character pliable in, in uh, Pilgrim's Progress, but it, it, it took too long. But if you remember that character, he was moldable, and whoever he was around, that's the way he acted. And we all, again, we all know people like that. That if he's with you, he's all about this thing. And he's with that guy, he's all about that thing. Just be yourself. All right, so not double-tongued. Not addicted to much wine. Now, for most of my life in the Baptist church, we put a fence around this. Which fences aren't bad. If I know that I have struggled with alcohol, my best solution is to say, I ain't going to drink. It's just not worth it. If I know that, that I have a struggle with something, it's wise for me to put a fence around it to protect myself from it. It's, that doesn't mean... In fact, I would say that Pharisaism is that I put fences around things in my life and then I make you follow my fences. I struggle with alcohol, so you better not drink. And we can't, don't have the privilege to add to or take away from the text. And the text doesn't say somebody who's never drank a drop of alcohol. Again, in most of my life, that's the way it's been taught. Clearly, that's not what it says. If you're someone who is getting drunk, the Bible says getting drunk is a sin. Be not drunk with wine. 
And you can say, well, I don't like wine, I like beer. You know good and well what the text is talking about. (laughs) And in this case, we don't need someone to be a a deacon who is somebody who every time you turn around, they're four into a twelve. That's just not someone that needs to be serving the church. There's somebody who needs to be working on their own issues. Not greedy for dishonest gain. You and I cannot be people that are driven by money or by the love of stuff. The enemy doesn't care what destroys your life. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if you destroy your life from being a drunk or being a junkie or whether you destroy your life in a way that the world will look at and say, that's just fine. You can destroy your life with the pursuit of money. You can care more about stuff than you do about people, and it will eat you like a cancer. The Bible talks a lot more about money than any other vice because money can catch us by the throat and hold us down. And so someone that's serving the church can't be somebody whose life revolves around a buck. It's not possible. And this says, deacons often handle financial matters for the church, and that's true. And there are few things sadder than when someone takes from the church. In my lifetime, be it deacon or pastors, the two things that destroy ministries faster than anything else, because there's never recovery from it, is sex and money. And so we, as a church, try to put boundaries around any financial dealings to make sure that nobody is in a situation where somebody walks up and says, hey, I didn't give my offering. Here's a $100 bill. Go drop that in. If you ever do that to me, I will say, ah, come with me, and I'll walk you to the safe, and then I'll let you drop it in. And so it cannot be somebody who's a lover of money. Sound in faith and life. And that's where Paul says, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Paul is referring here to the gospel. And it refers here to the fact that deacons need to know what they believe and why they believe it. I know, I can tell you this. And whenever we, we talk to, to deacon nominees, we always say, the enemy will attack your life in a new way. Because everybody that you work with knows that you're a deacon. Once you get ordained. And people will use that to make fun of you. I thought you was a deacon. You got mad at me. People will, will, will hold you to, a, as well they should, a higher standard. And so what he's saying here is you need someone who can deal with that. Paul says in another text, don't quickly lay hands on anybody lest you participate in their sin. And so you need someone who is sound. And that word sound there is as opposed to rotten. I've seen houses before that from the outside look perfectly fine. Ann and I, uh, when we were looking for a house to buy, looked at a house that from the outside, this looked like, oh, this would be a good house. And then you went over here and you could stick a pocket knife in, in the boards. The whole thing had rotted. And that's what he, Paul is, the opposite of being sound is that the, the underbelly is rotten. There's no structural integrity. I know this is going to be shocking to you, but there are some people who are fake. 
They act like they've got it all together. They act like they're, they, they have a hold of their faith. But in reality, they're not sound. And so Paul is saying to test them to know that that's the case. Sound in faith and life. And that's really, again, as we, we look at this in our Christian life, those are the two things that have to be in balance. We've got to know what we believe. We've got to have a good theology. We've got to be in the Word. And then you know what? If you have all that and you're not living it out, it doesn't do anybody a hill of beans. It ain't worth two dead flies. Today is, must be the David day. It's got to be in faith and it's got to be in life as we walk it out. Blameless. Now, blameless doesn't mean that they don't do anything wrong or we wouldn't have any deacons. The word here has the indication of tested. Blameless means that we have done the due diligence to make sure that we know that this person isn't going to turn around and a bunch of stuff come out in their life. Blameless is that they've been tested, that they are of good report, good reputation. And I will tell you, I've always joked about David and I one time, there was a guy who we, had, we were in uh, the ICU at Gadsden Regional, and we, we had gone into this lady's room and prayed for her, and her son uh, had, had a, has a slight affiliation with his church, and he owned a bar not too far from here. And so we went by and prayed for mom, and then we went by to, to uh, talk to the son. And so as we walk up to this bar, and I... I park my vehicle that everybody knows what it is in front of this bar, and we go to walk in, I'm like, yeah, exactly how am I going to do this? Because if I walk into the bar, that would be the moment that every one of you would be just outside of that particular building. And they'd go, well, there's a preacher going in that bar. Um, and so my, my intelligent thought was, this is what we'll do, we'll just stay on the porch here, and we'll call, and so we did. We knocked on the door, he came to the door, hey, can we pray for you? So we walked out on the porch, and it was that during the 20 minutes that we were out there praying for this man, everybody I've ever met in Etowah County drove down 431 at that moment. So that about every 30 seconds, somebody, meep, meep, and waving. Why well, the preacher in front of the bar? And so that I came in that Wednesday night and said, just letting everybody know, I was in front of a bar, and here's the story. And then that Sunday, I said, hey, just letting everybody know, because I knew that y'all knew. That's why I have to go to DeKalb County to buy my beer. Because if I go to an ABC store in Etowah County, somebody's going to see me. <laughs> Guaranteed. When you make a claim to be living a life for Jesus, people watch. They're looking for you to make a mistake. And so part of the responsibility that Paul is giving Timothy is make sure that they've been tested so that they don't turn around and bring disrepute to the church. I can guarantee you that right now there are people who are sitting at home and they've got an excuse that the devil's given them. This guy's fake. This guy's a hypocrite. This guy here, that they're looking at people. And the world delights when we fall. I was, the other day, uh, some of you may know I'm the chaplain at, for Glencoe Police Department. I was riding with this guy, and we were dri driving down a road, and we passed a church. And he said, hey, do you know that that preacher was having him an affair? And he knew all the details. He knew all the story. And he had a look of glee on his face as he recounted how there's another one of them fakes. 
So we have to test before someone steps into that role. Blameless. In fact, uh, a really good book on this that's been written is uh, in Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. He says the best way to find your deacons is find men who are already serving. They're already doing the job of a deacon. They're serving in this area and that area. And then you already know that they have a heart. And then you take them up. And that's, that's a great way to test. Now, Paul then in verse 11 goes into the family. So here's the deal. If you're a deacon and your family's falling apart, you can't be a deacon. God has laid out through his word principles like this that say that my first responsibility is my walk with God. My second responsibility is not this church. My second responsibility is to my wife and to my children. Because if my kids go off the rail or I'm not exhibiting the love of Jesus to Anne, then I'm not qualified to be a pastor. And so he then goes into, what does it look like in a family? It says their wives must be dignified, which we've already talked about, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Now, Let's talk about those. Husband of one wife is the one that there's probably most debate about in, in this world. And I want to I tell you what I know it's not saying, and then I'll, I, I want to talk about a couple of things that some people say. Husband of one wife is the, directly what this says. So typically, in a Baptist church setting, that has meant to be saying that a person can never have a divorce. Um, it, that's a disqualifier. I don't think, I think that Using this text to say that undermines and lowers the bar for what this text is saying. Husband of wife cannot just be you've never gotten a divorce. Because I know a lot of men who have never divorced their wife, but they're not a one-woman man. A one-woman man, which is what the, in the Greek the direct translation means, is that for me... This is the only woman that I've got eyes for. I may never have divorced her, but if every time somebody walks by me, I'm checking them out, I'm not being a one-woman man. If I'm spending all my time at North Co. Baptist Church and she's sitting at home raising our kids, I'm not being a one-woman man. If, if all of you ladies know that whenever I'm around you, what is the term you used? An elevator look. Like that when I'm looking at you, I'm going, doing this number. I'm not a one-woman man. I'm a scumbag, and I don't have the right to be preaching the gospel. And so a one-woman man, we can't just lower the bar and say he's never been divorced. I know personally, right now, a pastor who he and his wife have for all practical purposes been divorced for the last 20 years. They live in separate bedrooms. They never talk to each other. But they're not divorced because that will cause him to get fired as a preacher in a Baptist church. He's missed the point. Our marriages are pictures of Jesus in the church. And Jesus don't treat his bride that way. And so I'm responsible to love my wife the way Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. Which means that I have to make sure that she knows I cherish her, I love her, 
I only have eyes for her. She's in my thoughts. I'm praying for her. She has to know that, and I have to be a one-woman man. Now, does that mean that a person can never be divorced? I think that answering that question, it's kind of like when people ask me, what's the age of accountability? I always say, if you ever come and ask me what the age of accountability is, I'll say there's three billion different answers to that question. Every human being, it's different. I wish that we had a, this is easy. Just put a check in the box. If there's been a divorce, nope. I don't see that that's what this is. First of all, Jesus gave a specific reason why a person could get a divorce. He says, if you divorce, except in the case of, of adultery. So there's a specific exemption or a, an out clause. In the case of adultery, you're not required. Paul says... I say to you, not the Lord, that if you're married to an unbeliever, do everything in your power to stay with them. Work hard because maybe they'll get saved and and then your children will get saved because they live in a godly home. But if they leave, Paul says, let them go and you're free. And so in a situation, if a person's, if you're married to someone and you're trying to serve your king and they're not interested and your fidelity to the gospel pushes them away and they leave, Paul says, you're free. So there's two specific places where a person would not be bound to stay married. And what that often does to us when we lower this bar to just never have gotten a divorce, what that means is, is that divorce becomes the new scarlet letter. You can't serve Jesus if you've ever had a divorce. There are people who before they got married the first time lived like the devil. And they've had sex with 50 different people. But then they got married and they haven't divorced them so they're okay. And then this person who, I know a man, in fact he was an elder in my last church. who He was in the Navy, he married a lady. He was trucking along, life was good, he was a pilot in the Navy, things were moving along. He ended up getting saved. She said, I didn't marry some Jesus guy. I married Tom Cruise in Top Gun. I'm not interested in being married to you anymore. He was on a deployment. When he came back, she had taken all of her stuff out of the house and literally wrote on the mirror in lipstick, just as an attempt to be as, as dramatic as humanly possible, you know, I'm out. He then later got remarried and then has been faithfully married to, the, to, to his second wife for 30 years. They have four godly, three godly children that they've raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He's a one-woman man. There is no reason biblically why he should not be qualified to be a deacon or an elder. But what that means is, is that we can't just go, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. We have to sit down and find out what the truth is and dig and study and pray with them and understand what the circumstances were, which makes it more difficult. We don't do good with difficult. We want a list. Here's the list. Okay, check, 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 check. You're out, you're in. And so what I think that this idea of a one-woman man is, is that we've got to know their heart a little bit. We've got to look into their lives. We've got to ask them questions. We've got to pray over them. Let's not reduce being a one-woman man to just one thing. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells women, obey your husbands. One little phrase. We love to run with that man and go, all right, woman, that means go get me a sandwich and shut up. 
Paul gives that one phrase and then spends the next three paragraphs saying, but men, you love your wife sacrificially. You love her the way Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. Well, that won't let me say, go get me a sandwich and shut up then. Because that's not how Jesus treats me as a part of his body. And that's complicated and that's hard. And so we have to dig deep. All right. So I can see the backstretch. They manage their children and their household well. That's uh, self-explanatory. And then he closes, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. One of the things I love when a person steps out a little bit on faith and begins serving their king, they get so much more out of that. In fact, one of the things I'm trying to teach our deacons and elders and the people that serve in this church is this. We've got a lot of stuff going on here. We've got a lot of things that are are happening. We've got lots of things that we need work on. And oftentimes we start just looking at things pragmatically and going, all right, so what, you know, with CR, we need this person to do this and this person to do that. And we need to go here and we need to do this and then get it done, get her done. And then we move on. And we forget that oftentimes... The Liv's Battles and the Bruce's and the, and, and the Kevin's and the people who come up here and serve in CR grow in their faith and they get way more out of that than the people who they're serving Coca-Cola's to. That's them giving back. You see, God made us to where we receive from the Lord and then we give back to serve Him and it creates this cycle of praise because we know we didn't have the power to serve Him in the first place. And so it's this cycle He gets praise because we serve Him, which feeds us, which then gives us the energy to serve Him, and it's this cycle of praise. If we cut that off so that all I do is receive, 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 that makes for a stunted Christian growth. If all you do is sit back here and get fed, and you're not giving back in some way, you're not serving the church in some way, you're not going to be successful in the Christian walk. You've got to give back. You've got to serve others. That's the way God made us. And so what Paul here is saying is that the person who serves as a deacon, yes, they, they take care of the day-to-day, the things that need to happen around here. But at the same time, oh, the blessing that they will receive. Pressed down, overflowing. So as we come to a time of invitation, we're not going to do our, our traditional invitation. I do want to say, if you feel the Lord leading you to come and pray about something, this altar is open, feel free to do that. But I, I want everybody to stay seated. I've already talked to Mark about this. So I'd like everybody to stay seated. And I would like you to take this time as, as the, the worship team sings to fill out that card. Think about, pray about, who do you feel like God has called to step into this office. I am praying that we grow our deacon board by 10. This, we, we need help. There are things that we need to do. And there are some of you men who I know God is calling you to do it and you just don't want to step out and do it. And so as we come to this time of invitation, prayerfully fill that out. Father God, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be wise. Lord, I pray that you would help us to step out and serve you and obey. And God, I pray that you would help us to be a body that is known for our following of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.